0: everyone in this episode of history unloaded with danny and ashley we are continuing our discussion about winchester being the pac-man of the firearms industry last week we talked about the spencer repeating arms company and i always think i screw that up i think it's a spencer repeating rifle company but whatever no one cares i mean we said it
1: like several different ways now
0: yeah i'm sure like the cheney brothers cared and and maybe christopher minor spencer cared but whatever
1: It was the Minor Repeating Rifle Company. That's what we're going with.
0: Okay, cool. (laughs) So we talked about that one kind of in its own episode because it's the biggest name of a lot of the companies that Winchester swallowed up. Um, But when we concluded the episode, we realized that it really wasn't that huge of a company. I mean, it's bigger than some, but not that huge of a company in the grand scheme of like Winchester and then all the things it ate.
1: Right. And... Spencer and really Winchester didn't buy Spencer up directly. You know, we ended with sort of Spencer goes to the war, makes this great repeating rifle that gains popularity. And to the end of the war, it gets into financial trouble. And they're actually bought by a company called Fogarty Rifle Company out of, well, now I'm wondering if I got the name Fogarty. Is it like Fogarty Repeating Arms or Fogarty Rifle Company or
0: I think something? It's Fogarty Rifle Company according to our labels, which Doesn't really mean if it's accurate or not, but we'll go with it.
1: That's what we'll go with. That's the official narrative. (laughs) Um, So the Fogarty Rifle Company out of Boston uh, buys up Spencer's assets. And it appears that Winchester considered buying them then, but didn't for whatever reason. Fogarty buys them, Fogarty gets into trouble, and then Winchester buys Fogarty and all of their Spencer assets. And I think I got that right.
0: So essentially, it's like, I'm going to do it, Danny. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It's the turducken of gun company purchases.
1: For the record, we tried recording this episode once and it went terribly. And I made that joke. That was my joke.
0: Well, okay. So yes. And by once, Danny means yesterday. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, we did. So, So the way it went down was I said it was like the snake eating a mouse. And then a raptor, not the dinosaur, eating the snake, and then you said turducken. But that, like, entire like bird eating snake eating like eating mouse like conversation just felt like exhausting this morning. Yeah. So you just jumped um, to, to turducken. But I've already explained it, so it was kind of <laughs> I don't know why I just wanted to steal your joke, Danny.
1: It was my fault for trying to go back and claim credit for my own comedy material. <laughs>
0: Oh, it's fine. It's fine. So yeah. So Fogarty is also a firearms company. And so when Winchester acquires Fogarty and therefore Spencer, they're also acquiring a company that's out of Boston, Massachusetts. um, And they ultimately, you know, kind of are on the cutting room floor of history because I don't, I didn't know much about Fogarty until like I walked through the Cody Firearms Museum and I'm like, what is this company?
1: Yeah, I hadn't heard of them until I came out here for this job. And then I'm walking through the museum, like on my first week on the job, and it's there's these things called Fogarty Rifles. And it's like, I know nothing about them, and I can't say that I've learned a lot about them since. But they are a repeating rifle, according to our label. And I think a lever action, and that's probably why they were interested in Spencer's stuff. Because I imagine somebody at Fogarty was like, oh, they make a lever action repeating rifle. We can just use their equipment to build ours. and.
0: which I think it is like the moral of today's story, too. There's a lot of like repeaters and lever guns that just get eaten by Winchester.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. And I mean, during the Civil War, like how many, I don't, it would be a futile exercise to sit here and try and name all the repeaters that came out in the, like in the 1860s. It's just, there's so many and a bunch of them didn't survive. And Fogarty's one of them. The Fogarty actually, it kind of looks like Dispenser. Yeah. You, they're kind of, I don't know, That's not, might be a stretch, but they do look kind of similar. Anyways.
0: Anyways, so we've got a lot of them to get through today. So if it feels like I'm pushing Danny along, I am pushing Danny along because he likes to say things like, um, one more point and then say five more points. <laughs> um, so then one of my personal favorites is the Adirondack firearms. And the Adirondack firearms are out of new york um and it's a design from orville robinson and uh I, the only reason i think they're cool well one i think that like appearance of it's cool and danny can give a description of how he thinks it operates um but they you know existed and there's some like question as to whether like it was like adirondack firearms company making the firearms or if somebody else was making them for adirondack um, but there are, you know, several in the firearms museums collection. There are also some up at the Adirondack experience in the Adirondacks. Um, and so that, I don't know, I just think that firearm is super interesting and I think it's funny because I just always associate it with the chairs.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> the other part that our listeners are missing out on because we had to re-record is a long, long discussion about beach chairs. Yeah, and well, about he didn't Adirondack even believe
0: me. He was like, what are you talking about? And he had to look up an Adirondack chair. And also it made me question if I knew what an Adirondack chair looks like. And I was right.
1: <laughs> Ashley was right. There is a chair. I'm the culturally inept one. Um, yeah.
0: I feel like you're... in this episode, Danny, maybe it's just Friday. But like, I feel like we are bickering like a couple that's been married for like 20 years. Like... <laughs>
1: I mean, the I renovation. Right. <laughs> the renovation added at least ten years to our our friendship.
0: Yeah, <laughs> professional relationship.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, so back to the actual Adirondack, not the chair, the rifle. It is a toggle action rifle. It's really, I think I could go out on a limb and call it a vertical bolt action rifle because there's this little handle attached to the bolt. And you pull on, you would like pull up on that handle, and it breaks the action up. Um, Winchester, of course, has a toggle length that breaks down inside the receiver. This one breaks up outside the receiver. And as I was reading on this gun, it's like everybody's like, "Oh, this is a great gun that could, you know, really compete with Winchester," and that's why they bought it up. It's hard to meet. It's hard, really hard for me to see how they would have like if somebody had the choice. If Adirondack had stuck around and they had to buy out a gun, why would you choose one of these things over a lever action? The Winchester from everything I've seen looks, you know, there's like a separate, you have to cock the hammer separately on that on the Adirondack. It's this weird exposed bolt when you break it up, like it's just much smoother on a Winchester. So I don't know that this is one where Winchester thought they had a real competitor because the gun to me doesn't bear it out. It might be, it's an, it's a neat design. It's an interesting design. Like the Orville Robinson is, you know, pretty smart, but I just don't think it's a better gun than a Winchester and but people's, I think people have this nostalgia about like these companies that get bought up like, oh, they just missed out. And they're like, maybe maybe he's like, they got a better gun than me and they just offered me a pile of money. I'm out. I'm going to go make popcorn.
0: Well, and maybe, you know, with a lot of these, they probably are sitting on patents that are valuable um, right. to Winchester that they can take and modify just like they did with John Moses Browning's patents. Because, yes, John Moses Browning's patents were modified by Winchester. I really like I like I don't understand why for this podcast I just like always just call out John Moses Browning.
1: I mean, we do claim that we make John Moses Browning wisecracks in our byline, so there's that.
0: Oh yeah, that's right. And I would like to point out that
1: you didn't call me out for my stupid Orville Redenbacher joke since I said Orville Robinson took his money and went and made popcorn.
0: Did you just say that? Oh my god, I wasn't listening.
1: (laughs) But it's interesting to me. They're buying up these patents. I think too. We see the same in the same sort of time frame at Winchester, they're patenting stuff that they don't produce. Like uh, Thomas Bennett patents a slide action modification to a 73. It's objectively worse than a normal 73, but they patent it as just in case. And I think that's what is probably more a driver for the Adirondack thing. It's getting it just in case, not oh, these guys are about to usurp us.
0: Ooze. Did you say ooze? I did,
1: and I'm just moving past it. <laughs> Usurp. Usurp. I'm it's, gonna, a, it's a hard you
0: <laughs> I, i'm definitely gonna bust that out in like some like cocktail party uh with fancy people and just keep going like i said it right and just like let them be like oh maybe it's usurp we didn't mm-hmm. know
1: just like those words you read as a kid and then you pronounce them one way in your head and then it's like years and years later until somebody pronounces it in front of you. you're like wait what
0: Okay. So now I have to take a quick tangent because my stepdaughter is like plays the game among us. Do you guys know what that, do you guys know what that is?
1: I know of it. I couldn't tell you much about it.
0: Okay. So she actually was, um, Oh, I I don't remember what it, what the little characters are called, but she was a among us character, um, for Halloween. And so she was like, I'm going to be an among us for Halloween. And I was like, an Among Us. Okay, cool. And like, so she always said Among Us, Among Us, Among Us, Among Us. And I'm like, oh, that's a weird word. And then like one day I was scrolling through Facebook because, you know, Facebook listens and shows me advertisements. Mm-hmm. And it showed me an article about whether or not uh, it was like one of those like uppity parent blogs about like whether or not video games are like good for your kids. And it was like, is Among Us, you know, appropriate for children? And I'm like reading through it, reading through it. And I'm like, Wait, is this what Lexi's talking about? And so I was like, Lexi, is your game Among Us? And she's like, Yeah, Among Us. And I'm like, No, Among Us. And she's like, Yeah, Among Us. And like, to this day, like, she cannot say Among Us. She says Among Us. And then she's like, That's how everyone else pronounces it. And I'm like, I mean, I'm going to take your word for it because I like, maybe people do, but like, I just thought it was so funny because it took me months to figure out. <laughs> what she was talking about and i was like oh among us and then we just went back and forth like we were saying the exact same thing
1: also i would like to say that there's almost zero way you can have that argument about a video game and pronouncing it and pronouncing pronouncing it <laughs> pronouncing it correctly without sounding like a very old person
0: oh what among us pronounce <laughs> i almost spit out my coffee that was That was rough. Mm. Um, Okay. So back to firearms. And um, so you mentioned that like, you know, we're talking about whether or not these companies were actually competition and let's move on to the Bullard because the Bullard was making a lever action firearm that was going head to head with Winchester Marlin. And I forget the other company it's in my notes. Uh, Whitney, sorry, um, Winchester, Marlon, and Whitney. Um, and nowadays, like, it, like I love when this happens to firearms that, like, don't, you know, make it really big time and they get swallowed up. They become incredibly rare and people are like, I must have it. It is clearly mm-hmm. the best. And so getting a Bullard lever action is super rare because, you know, they just couldn't compete with the bigger companies. And so they ultimately, you know, were acquired by Winchester. That was it. It sounded like I had more to say. Yeah, that it really
1: it. did. I was waiting for you to say something more. Um, but yeah, that's a, you know, that's kind of that p- point I was building off of for Adirondack. It's like they become incredibly rare because the Adirondack production is like 500 guns or something like that. Um, Bullard, I think, might be a little more. And Bullard has like, you know, to somebody that doesn't know a lot about firearms, they you could put a Bullard up against like an 86 and be like, what are these? And they'd be like, uh, they're both lever action rifles. Like, what's the difference? I mean, because the bullard, it's it's a lever action, has an under-the-barrel magazine tube. It's pretty conventional in that sense. It did chamber, they offered chamberings in like the larger calibers, like the you know, 4570. So one of those market segments that Winchester sort of struggled to get into. So maybe they're a little bit more serious competition, but they're also a good bit later. They're like late mid to late eighties, I think. And by mid to late 80s, I mean, 1880s, not 1980s.
0: The Bullard use a lot of hairspray. (laughs) They did. (laughs) Um, And uh, one company, though, that is fun. And I'll let you explain this one because I don't know. You explained it yesterday and it was good. So I'll let you do it again. But it's a little bit more dramatic. And that's the acquisition of the Burgess Gun Company.
1: Yeah, Burgess is named after Andrew Burgess, who designed lots of firearms, has uh, quite a few patents in his name. Uh, really interesting guy. And he built off of, there's there's a series of lever action rifles generally called Whitney Kennedy's today. Sometimes you'll see them as like Morse lever actions or Whitney Burgess lever actions. Um, but there's a few, obviously by all these names, there's a few designers involved in this action. Eventually Burgess um, sort of his refinements are what it's known by. So there's the Burgess lever action. He sells this design to Colt. Colt starts building it as their model 1883, which Winchester takes personally, hires William Mason away from Colt. Uh, Mason designs a clone of the single action army Winchester takes that over to Colt and says, hey, look what we could do if we really wanted to. Then Colt suddenly drops their production of the uh, Colt Burgess lever action rifle. Winchester doesn't immediately go after Burgess. After that, Burgess starts designing um, his slide action guns. He has a slide action uh, rifle and shotgun, although the shotgun is the best known today. And actually, it's, it's interesting. His sort of wrist slide action the 1873 slide action conversion is a wrist slide action gun, which is an odd footnote. Um, But eventually the Burgess company, I I don't know that it was, you know, what level of direct competition Winchester felt from them. But of course, Winchester in the 1890s is coming out with their own slide action shotguns. There's the Burgess out there and it's kind of almost like there's a sentiment at Winchester is like, you've given us enough trouble and you're a smart enough guy <laughs> that we're just going to be done with this whole deal. Here's a bunch of cash.
0: Yeah, we're done with you. And you know it's interesting because they acquire Burgess in 1899. Um, and I just think that's kind of interesting because you were just talking about like, you know, all the slide action technology that's going on. And that's right around the same time that, um, you know, John Browning's about to break up with Winchester uh, for his semi-auto. And it's funny because Winchester like really was into slide actions at that point, you know, mm-hmm. and they were like, this is going to be king forever. And so it's kind of funny. They're like, they were like, screw you, John Moses Browning and you're better and more advanced technology. We're going to buy more slide actions.
1: What it doesn't <laughs> have any moving parts on the outside pish posh.
0: Yeah, bish <laughs> bosh. I like that. Um, and so into the next company, you know, which we actually I mentioned when I mentioned Burgess, um, and it's got a really cool connection to our collection. And it's actually not the the connection to our collection is not necessarily uh, through the acquisition, and that's of the Whitney Arms Company. Um, and the connection that I'm talking about specifically is the fact that within the Winchester Arms collection, there is a collection. That um Edwin Pugsley acquired uh through a in a married into the family member who may have sold it for boats and hoes. I think we just didn't we talk about this like recently? I got (laughs) I'm now remembering this joke. Um (laughs) boats and hoes, boats and hoes. Anyways, um so They, you know, this guy sold, you know, the Eli Whitney Jr. collection to to Edwin Pugsley and it ended up in the Winchester Arms collection. And it's really cool because it's got Eli Whitney Sr.'s kind of earliest guns, the guns that Jr. was producing up through the Whitney Arms Company. And then it's also got some of his personal firearms. And so it's pretty neat that like Winchester acquired that company, but then also, you know, ultimately got the family's personal collection.
1: Yeah, it's it's weird because it's like, when we talk about the Eli Whitney jr collection being a part of the Winchester and there's this whole back and forth about like the Whitney Burgess lever action, it's like, Oh, they must've happened around the same, but they're actually unrelated other than the, the sort of shared family connection that these two things had before that. Um, of course, Eli Whitney, you know, the Whitney arms companies, they, they were around for a while cause they had been making like revolvers and stuff since before the civil war. Um, so yeah, that's it's a weird connection that sort of back comes back around to Winchester.
0: You know, I never thought about this before, but do you think because Winchester acquired Whitney, that might have been appealing for Edwin Pugsley? Like, I think Edwin Pugsley just bought the collection because he liked it because he was a collector. You know, his collection basically became a part of the Winchester Arms collection. But do you think like that would have been like something that he would have considered being like, ha Winchester got this company. Now I'm going to get their personal firearms.
1: I don't know. I, it kind of depends on when he got it, I guess. Um, it could have been. I, I But I, I wonder if it was like, you know, the sort of married into the family person was like, oh, well, Winchester got this company. So I guess you work there. Do you want the guns? I don't know. Maybe that's how it went down. That was terrible.
0: <laughs> that <laughs> but- was like... <laughs> Do you want these guns? I'm pretty sure if the story holds the way Herb tells it, that person didn't know any of that history.
1: They were just after the booze money.
0: The booze money. Uh, okay, and so on to the last of the firearms companies that we're going to talk about. Uh, well. I mean firearms companies. I mean, theory, never mind. I'm gonna I'm gonna give away the last two, um, but is one of my favorites. So, like when I was at the Smithsonian, I remember seeing this firearm and being like, "I love it." And that's the Evans repeating oh, firearm.
1: <laughs> you started to call it the right thing. I don't know why you hesitated. Uh,
0: I don't know. My brain just shut off for a second. The, uh, Evans repeating rifle company. Sorry, <laughs> I like question myself. <laughs> Um, and the reason that I think it's cool uh, is just because I love... The, the Tubular magazine goes into the butt stock, kind of like uh, a Spencer, but it's visible. You know, it's visible through the stock. And yeah. I think that's pretty... I don't know why. I just think it's really cool looking. Um, and the Evans actually... I think, and this is based on not being an expert in the other companies and also not being an expert in Evans, but like really, really digging them. I feel like Evans actually had the chance to be one of the serious competitors to Winchester if they had the ability to expand. Like, I think Winchester, you know, thought more of Evans than maybe the other companies.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to argue. Like, The Evans is this obscure gun because you start talking about guns, of the old West, and you're thinking, oh, six shooters and Winchester lever guns, not a 32 round magazine repeating rifle. I mean, the Evans is as compact as, you know, roughly the same size as any other lever action rifle. But the the magazine it uses is this crazy thing. Um, And there were, I think, like 26 and 32 and some other crazy number of shots card uh, magazines. And probably one of the downfalls is it. I think it used a proprietary 44 or maybe they just labeled their 44 cartridge, um, 44 Evans. So they didn't have to use the Winchester name on it. Like some companies did back then.
0: Oh yeah. A bunch of companies did that. They were like, um, mm-hmm.
1: but yeah, it, it fires a similar cartridge to, you know, a Winchester lever action. It holds, has a much larger capacity than a Winchester. You know, that to me is a pretty serious threat and it doesn't have any like, the only weird thing I know about the design is that the way the magazine works, if you like miss a spot in loading and then advance it once more, like you can have an empty space in your magazine. And I think you have to like you have to work the action kind of continuously as you load it. Yeah. Um, which is a little bit weird, but it's a trade off that gets you this crazy high capacity for the old west.
0: Yeah. You know. Never mind.
1: I, I mean, think I gets you a magazine capacity mean- not seen since the volcanic.
0: Ooh. That feels interesting. Um, no, I was just having a mental conversation with myself about high capacity magazines in the ovens, but um, I'm back. Yeah, I I'm I regret back.
1: my word choice. Yeah.
0: Um, sorry. <laughs> So now let's move a little bit to, and I'm sure we're probably missing a bunch of companies, but these are things that the Cody Firearms Museum collection has. And so it's pretty cool to see the representation of all of these different things that were competing ish at the same time. And, and that Winchester decided to continue to swallow up as much as they could. Um, you know, and it also gave them, you know, way, not only did it eliminate their competition in some respects, but then it also gave them ideas possibly for Mm -hmm. other designs and things that they maybe hadn't thought about. Um, and so let's move to ammunition, which we like never talk about. And I'll let you talk about Remington.
1: Yeah. One of the, you know, we said Spencer was probably the biggest name that Winchester bought out. And I'll still stand by that. Remington is obviously a bigger name than Spencer, but Winchester didn't really totally buy this one out. Uh, Remington got themselves into financial. This one, I'm a little fuzzier on the details, so I'll apologize up front for that one. But Remington is in a situation where they're getting bought out by Marcellus Hartley of Skylar, Hartley, and Graham. Um, And as part of that, I think he doesn't have the money to buy them outright. So he comes up with some partners and Winchester is one of the partners as the company. And I've seen it in various places that they either, like the amount that they bought of Remington is, I've seen different amounts. One source at least said as high as 50% of the company was owned by Winchester, um, which is really bizarre to me that they would have like an even share of the company or if there was any other partners, that would mean they'd have a controlling stake. Um, But yeah, Remington was on that list too, because Winchester was a partner in Marcellus Hartley's buyout of that company.
0: Yeah. And uh, so we're going to finish on the United States Cartridge Company. And this is another turducken situation, Danny.
1: (laughs) Another turducken. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Another
0: turducken. So the United States Cartridge Company is another Massachusetts company. Like, Winchester's, just like, "Mm, screw you, Massachusetts. We're going to buy all 'all." (laughs) y'all. And it's originally founded by a Civil War general, Benjamin Butler. I just like saying Butler like that. Um, And they actually did a lot of uh, government contract stuff. I mean, they were a pretty good cartridge company. Um, and that's because of a patent uh, that they had that improved metallic cartridges that uh, Joseph V. Meggs, Megs, sure, um, had. And he was with the company for a really long time. But USCCO kind of hit a rough patch. Um, i That's probably not the correct term because in 1903, there was a explosion um, in their company and um, it killed over 20 of their employees did you know that danny
1: I, I didn't know that although i've read of similar incidents at Winchester um you know I, when we think of like firearms manufacturing today we're thinking of like like an industrial building in you know with some cnc machines running and there might be like 50 people working there at least that's the picture in my mind maybe that's a a wrong image to have but Back in the day, it was much more labor intensive. So there are like huge factory workforces at these places, even for some of these smaller, you know, e- even some of these smaller companies that we're talking about are still employing, you know, a couple hundred people. Uh, and if they're making ammo on site, ammunition production often in that day and age resulted in explosions. And so I've heard of them at Winchester. I didn't well, know but not USCC not just that day and age,
0: Danny. Wasn't sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I was gonna say, not just in that day and age. Uh, I mean, because wasn't there that big explosion in Europe or something like not too long ago?
1: Yeah, there was, I mean, there's there's lots of these cases. Um, you know, the uh, why can't I think of uh, DuPont? I don't know why I couldn't think of that name. But, you know, they're powder manufacturing. They had lots of them. And you see like what companies do and you can still see it in sort of some of the architectural layout of these places that are now other things. But they would build out their you know ammunition manufacturing they would like build earth earthen berms and like their powder shacks would be like way off to the side and if one shack goes like anybody that's in that shack is you know the five or six people that are screwed but that was like their mitigation was like all right we're going to manufacture powder in such a way that if it blows up we'll only lose six people instead of 50 people that was their safety
0: um yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, how have we never talked about DuPont sidebar
1: sidebar I don't know, but we should
0: we we should definitely do that because the DuPont family is interesting. I went to University of Delaware so I know all about the DuPont family. Uh, (laughs) I mean like rumors and stuff. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, in 1911, the national lead company buys half of USCCO and they're really a big company during world war one. I'm going to bust this out for you, Danny. Uh, they created ammunition for the United States, Great Britain, Holland, Russia, and Italy, and they supplied 2,262,671 munition, item, munition items during that period.
1: 2 million or 2 billion?
0: 2 million. I guess it's not that much. Whatever.
1: Well, that's Whatever. what I was wondering. Two billion uh, would be about on part. That would be about twice as much ammo as Winchester had supplied. Two million would be like one contract.
0: Never mind. Whatever, Danny. Don't judge them. They weren't like the largest company on the planet. So I, that's pretty impressive when you consider the fact that like everything else Winchester acquired made like a hundred guns.
1: <laughs> and to get back to, well, one of the reasons this is really interesting for us is because we still have a there's a lot of guns in the collection that are like known U S cartridge company guns because they collected extensively to test their ammunition. You know, they're not making firearms. They don't really care about what their, what new guns are out. They just want to know, will our ammo work? Okay. In this new gun. So they collected pretty widely. And I've heard a few different stories of like Butler's own Benjamin Butler's own collecting. Um, but he seems to have somewhat of a collector's mindset, uh, and so the U.S. cartridge company's collection was like it was a super well-known, you know, historical firearms collection in its own day. Like it was there's there's a booklet out there somewhere. I, we have a copy around the office. So I'll have to go find it. But it's like a, here's the catalog of their collection. And it is as large, if not larger than the Winchester Arms collection at the time.
0: Yeah, no, I I forgot about that collection. Um, So so National Ed Company buys half of the company in 1911. I think in 19, let me double check the date, 1919, they acquire the rest of the company. And then in 1926, that's when Winchester acquires them. So this is one of the, we've been talking a lot about like late 19th century Acquisitions. This is a later acquisition for Winchester, like right, you know, five years before their bankruptcy. Um, and they do continue to make USCCO cartridges for several decades after, even after different acquisitions of the company um, and Winchester's receivership and Olin becoming a part of it and all the different name changes that go on during that time period. So this is actually, I didn't plan this, Danny, but this is actually a good one to end on because we are leading up to the third episode, which is going to cover the demise of Winchester and the post-World War I period. And so we're gonna start the next episode with a little bit about other things they swallowed up. Um, so it's not just guns, it's not just ammo, but in a last ditch effort to, is it last stitch or last ditch?
1: Last ditch.
0: But like, if you're sewing, oh, back to sewing.
1: <laughs> one, we need to expand on this whole sewing thing in its own episode. And two, I always thought it was like last ditch, like a last stand sort of thing, not as a sewing analogy. Well,
0: I'm sure somebody can tell us. I always um, just say it really fast so people don't know which one I'm saying.
1: Is this this your other party trick? Like you're going to start just mispronouncing usurp and then start just saying last stitch at your cocktail parties and see what happens?
0: You know... Um I there's a lot of expressions that I think all people say d- say incorrectly. Um I there's one that I'm totally forgetting that I always have to get, look up but I can't remember it right now. But anyways, back to what we were talking about. Um so we're going to talk about um you know after World War 1 Winchester started acquiring non-gun companies to try to diversify their product line so that they could stay in business. And then also we will talk about the ultimate decline of Winchester and the acquisition by Olin. And we will talk about the man at the center of the controversy, Winchester Bennett, who never gets talked about, but is like a really odd character in Winchester history. Like why are we always gonna talk about Sarah Winchester? She wasn't even involved, you know, other than taking the money, but like Winchester Bennett was like actively involved actively responsible for the decline and his dad had to come bail him out at the end and didn't ultimately wasn't ultimately successful and like he was cuckoo so that's rude i'm sorry which is like you know he had issues because he grew up with a is it a silver spoon yep in his mouth
1: are we just going to ask every time (laughs) there's an expression that comes is that the one is that the right Uh one
0: (laughs) Oh, it's so true. Um, you know, so he was born into the wealth of the family. And like you see with a lot of you know, companies across industries, you know, sometimes a company is successful because of their parents, and then the kids are raised in luxury and have no idea how they made that money in the first place. And so it causes them to either like figure out how to be innovative or just kind of live off the money or tank it completely, like Winchester Bennett does.
1: I would just like to say, first of all, spoiler alert like just went through the whole episode and
0: no I did not (laughs) I did I did not it's not like that time where you said all of the things that we were going to cover oh it was this it was last episode like where you basically gave an entire history of Spencer in three minutes I just was giving a teaser because there's a lot more to the story and I explained that this is the decline of Winchester so it's not a spoiler alert that the guy running the company before his dad had to step in was. So, uh, a bit responsible.
1: Sure. sure. Sure.
0: Sure. 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 All right, guys. Well, we are, I think we actually stayed pretty on track in this one. Maybe. I
1: think so. For once in our lives.
0: Yeah. So we will conclude the Pac-Man of guns. Although I bet we could go up to modern day if we wanted to.
1: We probably could because now there's a real well, I can't i would get myself in trouble if any of our friends at Browning listen to this, but now there's a real turducken of a situation on who owns Winchester today. <laughs>
0: You know what? Let's make this a four-parter and let's talk about <laughs> Winchester today.
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: All right. So we just extended this like we've done with the with many series that we do. We're making it a four-parter. Next one's about the decline of Winchester and then the next one will be Winchester today. Because you know what? If we want to get into it, I mean, like it's complicated because it's got like the time the employees bought the company and then all the companies that are intertwined today. So it's actually kind of interesting. So we will talk to you guys next week.
1: See ya.